like that. You Hello, everybody, and that. welcome to this episode of the Logan Blackman Show. I know this is an episode for a few people out there that they're looking forward to. They're very much looking forward to, and we'll explain why in a little bit. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan, with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, like and follow the Facebook page. Check out a few blog posts on there as well. And go check out, just in general, the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can check out blogs there. You can check out podcast clips. You can check out a store if you really want to, if you're feeling that bad for me right now, or you just want to, uh, like, make a donation, I guess you could say. And then, of course, you're listening right now, so make sure you are following and or subscribed to the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts. If you think you are, but you're not 100% sure, might as well just go check. And while you're doing that... Make sure you leave a rating out of five stars on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, this is not the same feelings that I was having going back to last week. I'm in a little bit different mood this week than I was last week. And when you look back to like a year ago, I'm in a completely different mindset right now or a different mind frame right now than when I was a year ago. So let me explain to you the day, and I've said this on the show before. I've said this on the show before. So if you're unaware of what happened or you don't understand what I'm talking about right now, the Buffalo Bills just lost the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday in embarrassing fashion. Embar- got their abs- got their asses absolutely kicked. Got bent over and the Bengals had their way non-consensually with the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. It was absolutely brutal. It was brutal. It's like one of the lowest scoring ass kickings I've ever seen in my life. You would think that score, if you didn't have a score, like if you go back to the 90s and watch some of like the old 90s clips, like go back and watch the Bills-Oilers game. There's no time. There's no score on the screen. So if you didn't look at the score, if you didn't know what the score was, you would have probably thought it was like a 60-something to 10 game. The Bengals absolutely dominated. They had every single thing right. Like everything worked to absolute perfection. But when you look at that game versus the Bills Bank Chiefs game last year in the divisional round, both divisional round games, a year ago from yesterday, January 23rd, a year ago from yesterday, was the Bills Chiefs game. One of the one of the most insane games of all time, one of the greatest quarterback duels of all time between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. A game that was settled in overtime, 13 seconds, yada yada yada. And I would take this Sunday's game over the Chiefs game last year. 100 times out of 100. This is exactly what I'm talking about when I say I'd rather get my ass handed to me than get a, lose in a close game that you feel like you should have won. There is not a single part of me that thought the Buffalo Bills should have won that game on Sunday after watching what happened. And weirdly, like going into the game, I wasn't like nervous. Like you heard me talk about this on Friday. Like the whole national media is like, oh, the Bengals, if they had a healthy off the line, they'd absolutely clobber the Bills, absolutely destroy the Bills. Guess what? Turns out they didn't even need a healthy offensive line to absolutely destroy the Bills' defensive line. Good lord, you would think that's a freaking all-pro offensive line right there, not three backups and one guy making his first start ever at 23 years old. His first ever start for the Bengals is at left tackle in the divisional round against the Buffalo Bills, who were everybody's preseason favorite to win the Super Bowl. In overwhelming fashion, you look at the NFL Network. I saw this on Freezing Cold Takes, and I had to like it because I thought it was funny. Everybody of the main... And analysis people, the main analysts 
on the NFL Network that the Buffalo Bills would be taking on whoever it was. And it was basically the Buffalo Bills versus whoever the hell you want in the NFC. Like, who's going to, it was, before the season started, it was who's playing the Bills in the Super Bowl? Who was playing the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl? That was the mindset of seemingly every single person out there. And it's just funny how it all ends so quickly. Like, going into the game. I was somewhat, like, confident. Like, oh, they're at home. It's going to be fun. There's snow. My dad said there's going to be, oh, it's a snow game. I got even more confident. You saw what the Bills did last year in the playoffs in a snow game when they played the Patriots in zero-degree weather. Absolutely floored the Patriots last year in the greatest game I've ever watched <laughs> as a Buffalo Bills fan in regards to them actually coming on top. Because the game, that we're talking about like the best game I've ever watched, it was the Chiefs-Bills game. But I can't say that, really, because the Bills ended up losing the game. But the snow game got me hyped up even more. They're rocking the all-blues, which has become a fan favorite. And I'm absolutely loving the all-blues. I'm absolutely loving it. I remember back in the day when Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback and they'd rock the All-Blues then. <laughs> J.P. Lossman rocking the All-Blues. This All-Blue hits a little bit different, though. This one hits a little bit differently than the, the Navy Blues. Like this, uh, this one's a lot more put together than the old Navy Blue jerseys, the old Navy Blue uniforms. There's like 18 different colors of blue in there. Like I was like calm. And then the Bills defer to the second half. Bengals receive. And it started off relatively normal. Like The Bengals marched right down the field. Right down the field. But if you look at the Bills' defensive stats from first quarter to fourth quarter, they gradually get better as the game goes on. Gradually get better as the game goes on. They let teams score early on in the game. Like, I would love to see the stats of teams scoring on their first drive of the game against the Bills this year. Because I feel like it's happened almost every single game this season. Whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, but the Bengals just made it easy. It was as easy as it was when they played in Cincinnati. Like, that game, like the Bengals marched right down the field in that drive, too. They didn't have the first play of the game where they tried to bomb down the field to, to Jamar Chase in the first play of the game. No, that came a little bit later when a busted coverage allowed Chase to be wide-ass open in the slot. Like, why Why is... <laughs> we'll get to the more problem. We're going over the game real quick, and then we'll go over the problems of what happened during the game. So after that first drive, Bengals score, and I'm like, yeah, okay, we're fine. We're fine. It'll, it happens. Like, it's crazy to think that the Bengals were not going to score a touchdown in the game, so might as well just get it out of the way, right? 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 Just get it out of the way in the first drive. They're not, you're not going to shut them out. It's impossible to shut this team out. I don't care. You've got Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Samaji P. Ryan. I don't care. You're, you're not shutting this team out. You're not shutting the Bengals out. And then this first Bills drive happens. Three and out. Josh feels pressure coming around the left side, and he gets a little nervous, gets a little yippy, and overthrows Diggs, which would have been a walk-in touchdown. Had he hit him in stride. Diggs adjusted his route, got, got past the defender, had about a yard or two of separation on him, would have been a touchdown, Josh overthrows him. Bengals go on the second drive of the game. March right down the field again. Score, busted coverage. Hayden Hurst, wide-ass open in the end zone. So two plays, two touchdowns, busted coverage. And then the Bills' second, third drive of the game. Whew, okay, uh, three and out again. The Bills' first first down in the game did not come until the second quarter. And then Josh Allen gets a rushing touchdown, a one-yard rushing touchdown. I was like, okay. And they get a little skirmish in the end zone. Like, it's, oh, it's getting a little chippy now. It's like, when the Bills get chippy, when Josh Allen gets chippy, when he starts talking shit, oh, the Bills are a different team. They're a completely different team when Josh Allen's like, you could tell in the Dolphins game last week. There's a point where Josh Allen hit, and you're like, oh, game on. Game freaking on. Good luck, Miami. Good, abs good freaking luck the rest of this game. When Josh Allen has that look on his face, there's very rare or very few quarterbacks that would take over him if Josh Allen is like that. 
And he was getting all pushy in the end zone. I was like, okay, this game's on. And then the Bills hold the Bengals to a t- uh, field goal. Though they originally scored, I didn't think it was a touchdown when it happened. And then the replay happened. I was like, okay, yeah, not a touchdown. And then they make the field goal, 17-7. And then right then, this is where it was important to where the Buffalo Bills deferred in the first half. Because there is a chance that the Buffalo Bills could have gone down and scored a touchdown to make it 14-17 and then score the first drive of the second half make it 21-17. Games flipped like that. Like when people talk about, oh, why would you not receive to start the game off? There's different strategies to this, but that's that was there. It was in place. And then you see Josh hit Dawson Knox on the sideline. You see him hit Gabe Davis on the sideline. And you're like, okay, there's no way they're not scoring. There's no way they're not scoring here. And then all of a sudden, it's just wiped away. And then you're like, wow, I thought this was a guaranteed touchdown or at least a field goal. <laughs> and then you're stuck. And then the Bengals march right down the field and try to get a, tu- try to get a touchdown right before halftime, overthrows everybody. Gabe Davis comes in as a defender. And we go into halftime 17-7. And I'm sitting there again, not like, like, man... This is a weird game. This is a weird game, but I'm not pissed because there's a chance, again, that the Bills can come out in the second half and score and make this a field goal game. So it's like, oh, they're at home. DeMar's there. Oh, it's going to be hype. But then my dad pointed this out to me at the start of the game. There was no real, like, hype at the beginning of the game. Like, you didn't see that from the players on the sideline. You didn't see any real, like, hype or, man, this game is massive. It's a massive game against a team that you didn't get to play earlier in the year because of the whole DeMar Hamlin situation. This is your chance to prove everybody that, oh, wow, you're doubting us against a team that we think we could have beaten the regular season. Oh, we lost the number one seed in the playoffs after not losing a game. But there was no hype. There was nothing, absolutely nothing, on the players' faces in that game early on. And then the second half starts. And we're right back to the same thing we saw early on in the game. Another three and out. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it was another three and out. Or the drive stalled out. Either way, the Bills did not get any points on the first drive of the second half. And then the Bengals do it again. March right down the field. There was a point in the second half, and I'll never forget looking at this number because it was absolutely ridiculous to me. There was a point in the second half where the Bengals had 60 plays. 60 plays. And had 28 first downs. So if you're if you're a math whiz, that is just under 50% first downs plays. So if the Bengals ran a play, ran a play, they had a 50% essentially, I know it's not exact, but essentially a 50% chance of getting a first down. Like in P- this game was brutal. The fact the Bengals only scored 27 points is crazy to me. And then the game ends. Game ends. 27-10. Field goal. Bills make a field goal. Bengals make a field goal again. They score like, ah, it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. And you're sitting there, and I'm like, I'm not even upset. I'm not even like sitting there like, oh. Like at the end of the Bills-Chiefs game in the playoffs, I cried. It's only the second time I've ever cried after a sporting event. The first time was when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Second time I've ever cried. I was in the stadium, I watched the game, I saw what happened, got trash thrown at me, all that different stuff. Chiefs walk off touchdown to win the game, and I got a three-hour drive back north, to, <laughs> back up to Des Moines. And I'm sitting there at that point, and I'm like, man. And Brady, who's sitting there with me, he's always like, oh, Logan, don't be upset, we just witnessed history. Yeah, but you're on the losing side of history. You don't want to be on the losing side of history. 
Like, this was the team. Like, you didn't think that going into the playoffs. Like, in the middle way of the regular season when the Bills lost to the Jaguars 6-9, the Urban Meyer Jaguars, not the cool Jaguars with Doug, McDur- with Doug Peterson. No, 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 no. This is the, the Urban Meyer Jaguars that had not won a game on U.S. soil in over a year. Because I remember that first win of the season against the Dolphins in London. The last time they won on U.S. soil was against the Indianapolis Colts the first game of the regular season the season prior. So they didn't won a game on U.S. soil in about a year and a half. A season and a half had gone by, and they hadn't had a single win on U.S. soil. And then they beat the Bills, 6-9. to nine. Embarrassing game. Absolutely embarrassing game, especially given the fact what happened afterwards. When you look at what the Jaguars were, like you look back, peel out the layers and see all the things that they were, you're like, oh my God. But the thing is, that team beats this team 100 times out of 100. This Bills team, I don't know what it was. This is like the weirdest 13-win season ever. Weirdest 13-win season ever. Because you're confident. You're confident because you're a 13-win team. You're a 13-win team. You have players that are some of the best in the NFL. Some of the best in the league. You have a quarterback who's considered widely to be top two or three in the league. Top two or three. Depending on who you ask, I guess. You have a receiver who is one of the best in the NFL. All pro, pro bowl, whatever. You have one of the best linebacking duos in the NFL in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. Matt Milano, first team all pro this year. Tremaine Edmonds a pro bowl, or should have been a pro bowler. You've got an elite secondary. Though injured to hell and back, you have pieces on your secondary that are better than a lot of teams out there. Your D-line has been all right this year. So you're like, oh, we're better than some of the teams out there. Like, you're scoring 34 points and playing bad. And you think you try to get in your mind, like, oh, they did this while they were playing terribly. What happens if they play good? Like, that was the mindset I got myself trapped into. You heard it last week on Friday, where I was sitting here in this exact same spot, different a group of emotions going into it, more pissed off than anything. I was more pissed off on Friday, given what people in the national media were saying about the Bills, than what actually happened on Sunday. Given we've gone, like, what, five days since then? Since Friday. Since Friday. It's like you try to trick yourself into that. Like, this team beat the Bill, the beat the Chiefs. Every loss they had this year had been by, like, three or less points. You lose to the Dolphins by one or two, whatever it was. You lose to the Vikings. You lose to the Jets. Like, all these games are close games against teams that were in or either around the playoffs. So like you're losing the good teams. You're beating the teams you should beat. You're blowing out teams every once in a while. You blow out the Rams. You blow out the Titans. You blow out the Steelers. You should have beat the Packers by more. You beat the Patriots. Blow them out by playing bad. And the one that, the one they played in New England. They didn't play great the last game of the regular season against the Patriots, but ended up winning that game thanks to Naheem Hines' uh, two kick returns for touchdowns and three interceptions on defense. And you beat the Dolphins 34-31. When he didn't play good then. You gave that game away. Skylar Thompson had 40% completion percentage in that game. And I understand, like, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle had some drops in that game. But you tried to give that game away. And you're like, oh, man, they're so good. They're so good. Look how good they are. And the Josh Allen leads the playoffs in passing yards. The Bills scored the second most points in the playoffs to this point. And you try to convince yourself and, like, go all these different routes about how great this team is. And then you shit the bed when it matters most. It is such, like, I hate when this happens. Because they chose the worst time 
to play their worst game of the season. And that Jets game was brutal. That Jets game earlier this year was bad. This game trumps that game 10 times over. Not just with the what the game was or what round or what m- moment of the season it was. They just played like absolute shit. That's the best way you can put it. Absolute shit. And you go and listen to these press conferences after the games. And Sean McDermott, and I love Sean McDermott. He's the winningest coach in Bills franchise history in regular season wins. Which doesn't really matter in the playoffs. But it's there. I love Sean McDermott. He's job secure as far as I'm aware. As far as I'm concerned. It's like I saw someone compare him to like uh, Tomlin and Stephen, uh, not Stephen Colbert, but Colbert over in Pittsburgh. Like Bean and McDermott are safe. Their fingerprints are all over his team, and you can see that, especially when they do post-game press conferences. And Sean McDermott, after the game, literally sat there with a straight face and said, I thought the effort was there. We just didn't do enough to win. No, there was no effort. <laughs> I don't know what effort there was there, but it wasn't that. There was none there. There was none there. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, ups- like, I'm not, I didn't come close to crying at the end of this game. It was like, you just can't believe what you're actually watching. Because over the weekend, you try to convince yourself again, this team played bad and scored 31, 34 points. What do you think this team could do when they do good? Everybody's, oh, the Bengals are creating this false narrative that, oh man, we're screwed because man, better send those receipts. Well, you guys send the receipts to your fans too because you had tickets on sale for the Jaguars game. I don't know why it said TBD on SeatGeek for like the Cincinnati Bengals opponent in the AFC Championship game because the only team you could play at home was Jacksonville. So, like, that whole narrative about, oh, man, you better get those receipts ready. because the And they were like, oh, Bills, Chiefs, and Atlanta. Well, that's the only game that can happen there. So, yeah, that's why that's <laughs> that's why it says those two teams. It's the only game that can happen there. If the Jaguars win, they ain't playing Atlanta. If the Bengals win, they ain't playing Atlanta. If the Bills win, if the, the Bills are only playing Atlanta if the, if the Chiefs win. That's it. So people want to make a big deal about that one. That one's just stupid. And then the Bengals, oh, we feel disrespected because they're selling tickets. Again, you sold AFC Championship tickets because every team does that. But the only team you could do that for was against Jacksonville. So you really could have just put up Cincinnati versus Jacksonville because you ain't playing anybody else in the AFC Championship game in hosting it. But, yeah, I, I just think that's stupid. And the, like You look at the game, you see some certain things that pop up. Like The one that sits in my head is the freaking third and four play right before halftime where the Bengals ended up kicking a field goal on the drive. Third and four. And there's a screenshot. It's kind of getting famous around Bill's Mafia right now on Twitter. And rightfully so. And you can see this throughout the entire game. This is just the prime example of it happening. Third and four. The corners are playing seven yards back. The only corner you can see on the screen <laughs> is Tredavious White, who's one-on-one, not in press coverage, where they need to get four yards like, if you're going to play that defense, fine. But at least play on the first down marker. Like, seven yards is standard depth. He's ten yards, seven yards back. And they did this against the Patriots, too. Why are, you tr- why are you afraid of getting beat deep? Why are you getting afraid to get beat deep? It's not like they have, I mean, no offense to any of these receivers. Jamar Chase, one of the best in the NFL. Boyd, Higgins, Ballers as well. They're not burners. It's not like you got to play ten yards back because you're playing Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell or something like that. I understand you do this against the Dolphins, but the Bengals got some physical ass wide receivers. Jamar Chase a freaking tank. So why are you playing seven yards back? And oh, surprise, surprise, he ran a hitch route at the first down marker and got it easily. 
And there were times, again, throughout the rest of the game where they're sending corner blitzes from the slot when the Bengals have the best wide receiver trio in the NFL. Why are you sending corner blitzes when you have three receivers you need to guard? You're sending a corner blitz when Jamar Chase (laughs) is in the slot. This isn't Isaiah McKenzie. This is Jamar freaking Chase. You need to guard his ass. You cannot trust a linebacker, no offense to Edmonds or Milano, you cannot trust them to guard Jamar freaking Chase, the all-time NFL record leader in yards for a rookie in the NFL. Doing thing that no one's seen since Randy Moss, yardage-wise. And if he played more games this year, if he had not had that hip injury, we could be talking about an even better season this year. And then talking about who's the best receiver in the NFL is about who's the two best from LSU. Why are you putting a linebacker on Jamar Chase? Why? And then surprise, surprise, on the Bengals' first touchdown of the game, Jamar Chase is wide-ass open. Like, I don't even think there was anybody who pressed him off the line, if I remember correctly. He just walked. He could have walked into the end zone, pretty much. And then you look at the touchdown on Hayden Hurst. Why are they pressing so far? Like, not pressing at the line of scrimmage, no. Why are they biting so freaking hard? On these pump fakes, Hayden Hurst, again, wide-ass open in the end zone. It's like these two touchdowns that they scored in this game were wide open. Wide open. The Bills are very react defense. So when you see something like that, this is the defense that Leslie Frazier's run his entire time in Buffalo. When you react, you leave openings, and that's what happened there. Got caught out of position, Hayden Hurst wide open. Get caught out of position, Chase, of all people, is wide open. I never understand how, like, these, the best receivers in the NFL get so wide open. So wide open. But it gets easy for them when you're not even trying to cover them. They didn't even try. <laughs> you at least put forth an effort to say, hey, we're going to press you. We're going to press you out. It's fine if you don't believe that they can be, can't be physical enough with them. Because again, Jamar Chase is a freaking tank. So fine, you don't think you can be physical enough with them. But give him d- at least stay at the first down marker. When you're playing on third and four, like you look at what the the common denominator is for this Buffalo Bills team, and you look at the past three playoff appearances. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, 13 seconds in the playoffs last year, and then got embarrassed this year on D. Like that was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen in a very long time from this Bills defense. And I'm including the Jonathan Taylor five touchdown game last year. Like that game was brutal. Bengals literally had their entire way with what they, they could do anything they wanted, and it worked. They got outcoached for the third year in a row. When you have the talent, when the talent matches up equally, like the Bills have with the Chiefs and the Bengals, and you get outcoached, the Bills can beat the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Colts back when they went to the AFC Championship game, the Ravens. They can beat them because they have more talent across the board. When you meet up with teams that have similar-ish talent with similar-ish level quarterbacks, you need to have a firm-ass game plan, and that's something that they didn't do, or you have to be able to adjust mid-game, which is, again, something they didn't do. You look at the 13-second play. Why the hell are they playing press or playing uh, so off coverage? Why are they playing prevent defense with 13 seconds left, leaving the seams wide-ass open? When the Chiefs had three timeouts. There's a mic'd up clip. I brought this up on Friday. There's a mic'd up clip from the NFL throwback page. You can go find it on YouTube. It was the top 10 most, um, what is it called? Top 10 most biggest disappointment or biggest, uh, 
whatever, losses in the AFC divisional round or just divisional round playoff games. Most heartbreaking losses in divisional playoff games or something like that. It was released like a couple days ago. Travis Kelsey says to Patrick Mahomes, if they're going to play like that, the seam's wide open. Surprise, surprise, the seam's wide ass open. It's like, I respect Leslie Frazier for what he's done to this point, but there's no way, there's no way we can do this for the third straight year. When you have similar teams, you have to be able to set up a game plan. If it doesn't work, you have to adjust. You can't keep running the same shit the entire freaking time. Offensively, did you see anything different from the Buffalo Bills offensive game plan than what you saw early on in the game? No, they were in the exact same thing. The, the thing that pisses me off, let's go, let's turn turn attention to the offense real quick. So the defense got embarrassed enough on Sunday. We don't need to do that one anymore. The offense played like shit as well. I don't want to make it sound like the defense is the only reason they lost this game. The offense played like absolute shit as well. But, like, you look at what they did this season. You look at the player personnel that they keep putting in. It makes no freaking sense. Do you remember going back to the draft? Go back to the 2022 NFL draft. The Bills draft James Cook in the second round. What was the reason, if you remember, why they drafted James Cook? What was the reason? Because they can use him as a receiver. They can use him as a pass-catching back out of the backfield. He can line up out wide as a receiver. It was a similar-ish thing to what the Jaguars said they were going to do when they drafted Travis Etienne. It's what Urban Meyer said they were going to do with Travis Etienne. But Travis Etienne broke his foot, didn't play. Travis Etienne, watching him this year is exactly why I wanted the Bills to draft him. Two years ago. I wanted the Bills to draft Travis Etienne so freaking bad. He's one of my favorite college players of all time. That dude was a freaking monster at Clemson. And now he's a monster in the end. He's so patient. I love watching Travis Etienne. And then you look at James Cook. Why they draft him? Pass catching back into the backfield. In 18 games. It's the regular season plus playoff games. He had 21 catches. Huh? That's your pass catching back. And the thing that also doesn't make any sense... You traded for another pass-catching back and never used him. Like, you you look at the Jaguars, you look at their game against the Titans, and you look at the game against the Chiefs. When Jamal Agnew came in for those random-ass plays, they turned the ball over because he's not hell, he's not run reps. He's in the game for one play. The, the one against um, Tennessee was on Lawrence. That was a bad pitch. But there's no chemistry there. He hasn't been in the entire game except for kick and punt returns. This is what Naheem Hines is. Like, Naheem Hines, once he learned the playbook, play him. Like, they get, I said this a thousand times this year. How many players they babied in to this offense? Put them freaking in. You cannot tell me, watching this team, that Isaiah McKenzie, though I love him, I think he's a very important piece for the locker room, which is fine. You, can, you need those types of pieces on the player. He's not better than Khalil Shakir. He's not better than Khalil Shakir. He's not better than Cole Beasley. He was benched last week. He was a healthy scratch, and he started in the first play of the game this week, went to Isaiah McKenzie. He came from a healthy scratch against the Dolphins to getting the first play of the game against the freaking Cincinnati Bengals. First play of the game. You look back at this 2022 draft class and the first three picks, Kyrie Elam, who had very good spurts, but then they bring in Xavier Rhodes. Why? He was cooked his second and last year in Minneapolis. Then he was definitely cooked in Indiana, uh, Indianapolis. And then you bring him in the Buffalo, and then he's got a hamstring injury. So he's on friggin' physical unable to perform list, right, as the season starts, or whenever he comes in. And then you scratch Elam. 
again, this is another situation. You cannot tell me Dane Jackson is better than Kyrie Elam. You can't. You can try. You can't. And you look at James Cook. 21 catches. He's supposed to be the pass catching back. 21 catches in 18 games this year. And then you trade for a pass catching back. And I appreciate Naheem Hines. He obviously got two kick returns that got the Bills get the two seed and beat the Patriots. Because without those two kick returns, who the hell knows what happens in that game. And then you look at Tyrell Bernard. What the hell pick was that? It didn't make any sense at the time. Like, who... I, I would love to meet a fan that looked at that pick and was like, oh, that's a pick and a half right there. I remember watching the first preseason game against the Colts. I think If I remember right, it was against the Colts. First game of the regular season. Pre- preseason, sorry. It was either against the Colts. I guess it was either the Colts or Broncos. I can't really remember. But he picked up a fumble and ran it back, and he looked so slow. I remember looking at that with my dad. We were down in Alabama. We were down in Alabama, and we just got there. We were like, oh, we got to turn on the TV. The Bills are playing. See some preseason action. And we watched that. I was like, oh, what was that? And dude maybe saw the field five times all year, it feels like. They brought A.J. Klein in off the streets to be an extra linebacker. Like, what was the point of drafting Bernard? What was the point of that? It didn't make any sense when it happened, and it stir as hell makes no sense now. Like, let's go back to the entire draft class. For the Buffalo Bills this past year. And you can do this the past however many drafts you want to go to. Because it's been a couple weird drafts. Khalil Shakir. I like him. I like him. They should have played him a lot more than they did. We're not going to talk about the 180th pick. For obvious reasons. Christian Benford was good. Got injured. And then Lou Tenuta. Did nothing. Balen Spector. You could buy his jersey on the Bills website for some reason. But. Like Benford is. They're talking about moving Benford to safety which could work out. I guess they talked about that with him before the draft process started, that they were going to possibly move him to safety, and injuries just happened, they had to go in because you had, like, Dane Jackson getting hurt. But he started the first game of the year at corner. You had Trey White coming off ACL injury. Then Dane Jackson gets hurt the second game of the season. So you're kind of forced to keep him at corner for the time being. But, man, like Elam, Cook, Bernard, Shakir, those are three players, or four players, sorry, I can count, at least the three of the four. Because Bernard, again, I don't understand the pick then. Don't understand it now. Didn't do anything all year. It was a healthy scratch in the final game of the season. He's too small for a linebacker, too slow to play safety. He's 6'1", 224. He could turn it around at some point, but I, I highly doubt it. I'm highly doubting that one for you. But it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to do the whole thing about, oh, look who the Bills could have had had they not drafted X, Y, and Z. Like, because I do that all the time. Boogie Basham getting drafted over Creed Humphrey, who's one of the best centers in the NFL playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. You're telling me the Bills' offensive line is good enough to where they couldn't use him, regardless if he was guard or center? This is the same thing that we talk about, like, with the when the Nebraska Cornhuskers turned down Joe Burrow, and Scott Frost literally sat there, bold-faced lied, and said, hey, who are we going to play him over? Like, you've got Joe Burrow. I know he was I know hindsight's a very big thing here, but Joe Burrow, even in his limited time, <laughs> was better than Adrian Martinez. And it was Luke McCaffrey there at the time, too. They had another guy there. I don't remember who it was. And then Joe Burrow obviously breaks every passing record uh, in college football history. And, you know. But, yeah, the player selection, the play calls, like every single play the Bills run is on, on uh, like, a vert or something. And I understand. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, Josh Allen is completely 
uh, innocent in all this because Josh Allen certainly can not certainly can definitely stop being co- so concerned with being considered a check down master to where you can hey, dude you can check down every once in a while you can do that I know you have the strongest arm in the NFL and you like to show it off but hey and you want to score a touchdown every play I respect that because I would like to score a touchdown every play too but guess what this isn't mad it's not realistic you got to check it down every once in a while. But there were times this year where you look down the field and there's receivers running into each other. You can go back to the freaking Dolphins game. Last week, <laughs> you could see that. Josh Allen throws a ball down to the five-yard line. There's two receivers standing right next to each other. I think Gabe Davis is the one who came up with the ball. But you see that all the freaking time. You'd see that all the time in this team this year. But Josh definitely, definitely needs to take the easier route. But they need to get him another weapon because this team lives and dies on what Josh Allen can do on this offense. That I've talked about this before. The offensive game plan for the Bills and the Ravens is eerily similar because, look, you've got Greg Roman, former Buffalo Bills OC, as their OC. Not anymore. He was fired. But their game plan's the same where, hey, you have Lamar Jackson Josh Allen, two of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Go out there, do something. Just go out there and do something. Like, people before the season started that were against Josh Allen were like, look at all of you, the elite weapons he has. It's like, what the hell weapons does he have? He has digs and that's it. Gabe Davis, great in the playoffs, somehow. Can't catch shit in the regular season. Like, Gabe Davis will make the most ridiculous sideline catch you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, you look at the game against the Colts uh, two years ago. The two catches on the sideline in that game were ridiculous as a rookie. And then he obviously has the four-touchdown game last year against the Chiefs. And then you look this year and you're like, I remember midway through the season, like, ah, they need Odell Beckham. Like, before the season, it was like, oh, that's a luxury pick? No, they need Odell Beckham. Not, I don't, I'm not really as big on that one as I was back in the day. <laughs> but, but they need another two, number two wide receiver. They need one. Gabe Davis, I like him as a receiver on the team. I'm not saying he's a horrific wide receiver. He's not a two. He's not a two. I think everybody lived up to that four. Everybody looked at that four touchdown game, and rightfully so. Like the biggest game of the year, game of the season, game of the decade, whatever. And you look at that and go, man, that guy could be something. And just not that. He's fine. He's fine, but it's not any like he's he's like, what is it? I saw it a couple weeks ago. He has like a seventeen, or at the time he had like a seventeen percent drop rate or something like that. And it's not even past there that hard. It's hits him in the chest. He's a chest catcher, which is one of the problems. A lot of the Bills receivers are chest catchers, which if you don't know what that means, is you see the ball in the chest and try to ca- trap it on your chest rather than try to catch it with your hands. It's a big issue for a few wide receivers out there, especially ones with the Buffalo Bills. But you look outside Stephon Diggs, who's their other weapon? Like, Dorsey refused to use Dawson Knox early on the season. He obviously did not want to use James Cook to be the receiving back because he had 21 catches all year. Now, again, I understand. I understand. That's part of it on Josh, too. It's part of it on Josh. But this offense, again, is Josh do something, and plan B is revert back to plan A. You did not see a change of game plan on offense or defense. Once it didn't work, well, guess what? We're going to keep running it. We're going to keep doing the exact same thing. And I'm intrigued to see what kind of moves they make this offseason. But after that game... And Sean McDermott said it, said it in the press conference, you're as good as your last game. After that game, how can you bring back Dorsey and, and Frazier? Like, I respect what Frazier's done in his time in Buffalo, but come on, they need some new blood in there. This is three consecutive playoff losses where the defense has been absolutely shafted and they've been outcoached three straight years. Three straight years. Again, I said this in the beginning. 
you have the talent to compete with anybody in the league, but when the talent when you're not when the talent is not abundantly clear that you are the more talented team, like you did against the Dolphins, did against the Patriots, did against the Colts. Once that talent gap is shrunk or non-existent, you need to be able to make adjustments. And Lou Amarillo and Callahan for the Bengals dicked down the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. That's the best way I can describe that. And that's three years in a row. Josh Allen plays the game of a stricken life. The defense allowed 42 points. And played prevent defense 13 seconds left. Like, you cannot look at me straight in the face and say that Leslie Frazier should keep his job this year. And after what Sean McDermott said in the press conference, other than obviously saying uh, that there was, the work ethic was there, it wasn't. But to yesterday's press conference, not that after the game, but he, he, he wasn't singing the praises of Leslie Frazier too much. And they've had their riffs in the past before. They have. Sean McDermott took defense play calling away from Leslie Frazier, Josh Allen's rookie year. So it's happened before. But Dorsey, he, I've had my problems with Dorsey all year. I understand Josh's at fault for some of it, but when you're asked to do so freaking much and have so little help around, they need to make some sort of changes. And the dream scenario, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. But bring Frank Reich back to Buffalo. Bring Mr. Frank Reich back to Buffalo. You know, the orchestrator of the greatest comeback in playoff history. Not NFL history, I understand that, because obviously the Vikings-Colts thing this year. But the greatest playoff comeback in the history... Bills legend, one of the few teams, this is how, I mean, kind of sad how the Bills franchise has been <laughs> throughout their existence, but Frank Wright's one of the most beloved characters in Buffalo Bills history as a backup quarterback. The Bills are one of the few teams in NFL history who brag about having, quote-unquote, the greatest backup quarterback of all time. It's one of the few, that's how sad it's been in Buffalo over the quarterback position. Bring him in as the OC, and then Brian Flores, obviously the D coordinator. Brian Flores, Vic Fangio, whoever, bring one of them in. Because what the Bills don't need is another player's coach. Brian Flores, it proved his time in Miami, he ain't no player's coach. <laughs> he just wants to get results. That dude, will want, he wants results. He wants results. He bashed Tua every chance he got, whether he actually said anything or he just did it in his, like, when he looked at him. He did not like Tua. He made that abundantly clear. But that dude just wants to win. He doesn't care about your tank. He doesn't care about your feelings. He just wants to win. And the Bills need that. And Frank Reich... Questionable head coach, good offensive coordinator, come back to Buffalo. Like, that is the dream team. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If I'm looking at, like, a realistic option, I think Fangio could be an option, but you're looking at probably Joe Brady getting elevated. And this is a thing that I kind of I thought about yesterday because people are talking about, like, this is why you don't hire offensive coordinators or coaches because a, a player likes them or something like that. Like, realistically, should we have just let Dorsey go to, to New Jersey with the Giants with Dable? Should that have been the thing that happened? Because you, the thing that I didn't even really think about yesterday until it like, oh, it snapped on me, like the Browns hiring Freddie Kitchens. Like I understand there's going to be like growing pains. Maybe Dorsey, if he comes in next year and he absolutely rips shit apart, he's one of the best OCs in the NFL. But when you're interviewing for a job on Friday with a playoff game and a divisional round is on Sunday and you produce your worst game of the season – I lost all respect for you. Not all respect, but I it pissed me off. You're so focused on getting another job. Leave. Don't care. I don't want you back. If you're going to go ahead and do that, you're only here because Josh Allen wanted you here. Same thing with Freddie Kitchens. The only reason you're the head coach of Cleveland Browns is because Baker wanted you. No one else really was like, oh, clamoring for that position. We were all sitting here as Bills fans, and the reason we wanted Ken Dorsey was because Josh Allen wanted him. 
It wasn't because he was the best candidate in the market. He'd never been an OC before. Never been an OC. The only reason anybody wanted him is because Josh Allen was like, oh, I want Ken Dorsey. Oh, well, us in Buffalo love ourselves from Josh Allen. It's the only, the only time I've ever heard a PA announcer address a player by name and say, listen to that guy, because Buffalo and Josh Allen are one and the same. I bet there's more dudes that have crushes on Josh Allen than females have crushes on Josh Allen in Buffalo. Like, we, our world is surrounded by Josh Allen. Whatever Josh Allen says, that's what we should do. That's what the mindset is. I'm not saying that's always the right thing, but that's what the mindset is. And you look at, oh, Kent, Josh Allen wants Ken Dorsey. You better get Ken Dorsey's ass back to Buffalo. <laughs> that was the mindset. Like, Joe Brady, coming into this season, has more offensive coordinator experience than, than Ken Dorsey does, and he got fired because he didn't run the ball because he didn't have freaking Christian McCaffrey <laughs> healthy. Which, yeah, if I didn't have Christian McCaffrey, my run game would probably be diminished a little bit. But, man, I don't know. The dream reality is Frank Reich, Brian Flores. That ain't going to happen. That is not going to happen. I saw some people clamoring for Sean McDermott to get fired. No, that's not going to happen either. The thing that does piss me off about McDermott, though, if I had to say anything, which is kind of funny, though, because we were talking about Sean McDermott being coached the year like a few weeks ago with the whole DeMar Hamlin situation, and now people are talking about him getting fired. It's like the Dwayne Casey situation. Remember when he got fired from Toronto and won coach of the year the same season? It's like that situation. But I saw some people clamoring for Sean McDermott. No, he's not going to get fired. He shouldn't get fired. People want Sean Payton. No, that's not going to happen. I don't really know if I want that one either. But the thing I'll say about Sean McDermott, it seems like he plays scared in the playoffs. Or he coaches scared. I don't have anything. Like, you look at some of his facial expressions during these playoff games. There's times he looks scared. You look at that Indianapolis Colts playoff game, that first playoff win, it builds the the 21st century. <laughs> he looked scared. He played scared. He coached scared. That's what concerns me. That is what ner- That's what's nerve-wracking to me. And I love Sean McDermott. Again, he's got the most regular season wins in P- Bill's history, winning percentage-wise, winning percentage-wise. But Andy Reid got fired after going to four straight NFC Championship games. We're going to four NFC Championship games, got fired. So... Saying Sean McDermott's seat is 100% safe, I don't think that's true, but I think it's about 90% safe. I think you'd have to take like a few playoff misses for Sean McDermott to get fired from Buffalo because he's going to keep winning unless it just keeps getting anemic like this. And you're like, oh, you, you're going to win the division because you should win the division because you're in the AFC East. You're better than them. But it's it's scary. The talk of the Buffalo Bills being the best team in the NFL and started in 2022 and ended in early 2023. Josh Allen was the favorite to oh, odds on favorite to win MVP. Those were the odds on favorite to win the Super Bowl. And now we're sitting here on Wednesday, January 14th or January 25th, and we're like, man, what could have been? Because that window, I don't think it's closed. It's a lot tighter than it was like a month ago, and I'm actually nervous. I'm nervous for what the the long term plan like. Because they have no cap space. They have no cap space. So they're really struck. It's going to be hard to drastically improve this team. Coaching changes will have to be the first thing. Coaching changes has to be the first thing. I think your first draft picks, your first two picks in the draft, receivers got to be one of them. Don't care which pick it is. It can be the first round pick, which is currently 27th, or the second round pick. Don't care which one. If I had to predict who the Bills' first round pick would be, I bet it would be Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M. Six foot three, 190 pound safety. What does Brandon Bean love to draft in his time in Buffalo? Long freak athletes. Elam, Rousseau, Allen, Edmonds. Freak athletes. 
Ed Oliver, though not freakishly long, freak athlete from the interior off defensive line position. Antonio Johnson can play everywhere in the secondary, six foot three. Fits what Bean's drafted in the past. Now, I know a lot of people out there are saying, well, it hasn't worked to this point. Post-2018 hasn't really worked all that well to this point, but they're not going to change it. And I think Antonio Johnson would be a baller anyways. And I think that's probably your first two picks are safety and, and receiver. Like, people are looking at uh, the Bills taking B. John Robinson to foregone conclusion. No, no, Bills have a lot more issues on their roster than B. John Robinson and whoever the running back is. And I've said this before, I think James Cook has the potential to be the number one running back in Buffalo. They need to get him a complimentary piece. I don't think Singletary will be back. I don't think he should be back. But no disrespect to Devin Singletary. But you need to get a guy in like a power back or something to offset that. Like that's what they need to do. Like whether it's Latavius Murray or like Kareem Hunt or I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know what money they're gonna use. I don't like Poyer, I don't think is coming back. I think that one's set in stone. I've been pretty set on that one. Not saying that I would like him not to come back. I love Jordan Poyer. He's one of the greatest Bills players of all time. But the money doesn't make sense. And then you look at Edmonds. This is where it gets interesting. You can allocate, you can give the money to Edmonds as he's been one of the main cogs of your defense, or you can let him walk and reallocate the money to other positions. So it's kind of getting a little interesting what the Buffalo Bills are going to do, but this offseason is a little more sketchy than what it was uh, a few months ago. Like, it's, it is kind of scary. Like, if the I, they need to improve the O-line, got to improve the offensive line, got to get Josh another wide receiver, get James Cook a complimentary piece, like a power back. Whether it's in the draft or free agency, I don't care. Just get a big back in there. Defensively, the, the lines need improved. We know that. Von Miller being out is big. I understand that, but you have a defensive line full of second and fir- first and second rounders. They shouldn't be getting ass-blasted against a backup offensive line like they did on Sunday. Your whole D-line is essentially first and second rounders. That you got to play better than that. You can have, They had no pressure on Burrow pretty much the entire game. And then you look at the secondary, you're going to have to get another safety. Like DeMar Hamlin, they're saying he's still on, he's still on a, um, still receives oxygen, still getting his heart rate checked. That dude does not sound anywhere close to playing football. I thought it would be like, oh, he'll be back to playing next year. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Given what they said on Sunday, I don't think that's the case anymore. So safety will definitely be the option. If I had to predict, like you look at the Bills' first three picks, hypothetical first three picks, you're looking at, I would bet, I'd be willing to bet safety receiver O-line. That's their first three picks. I, I say I'd be willing to bet. That's what I want to happen. I, I guess I don't really care what order, but those are the three positions to look at first. And I don't care what offensive lineman you get. Tackle, guard, center, whatever. They got to make some sort of improvements on the offensive line. I know Morse is a pro bowler. Morse is probably set in stone there. Bates will probably be moving back to left guard. Dawkins is probably set, so you're looking at right guard and right tackle being quite areas of quote-unquote concern going into the offseason. Because I love Spencer Brown. He's a UNI guy, but man, they've got to at least get some competition in there. And they're not going to outright replace him. Questenberry's not competition for him. You've got to bring someone in that's actually going to push him for the job or even take the job. I don't care. Like Mike Hilton coming in and blowing up Josh Allen on Spencer Brown. And again, you and I guy, Iowa guy, love his story. I was in a class with him at you and I, pretty much best friends. But you got to get someone to, to challenge him. He had a pretty bad year 
given what expectations kind of were. But we'll have to wait and see. This offseason, again, is going to be very, very interesting to see who changes on the coaching staff, what the contract situation is going to look like with Edmonds, because that's the one to watch. If Edmonds doesn't get re-signed, I don't know if that's like the worst-case scenario here. I think Edmonds is a great player, but if you can reallocate that money otherwhere, because other places, because there's other needs on this roster, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see. But there's... It, it's going to be interesting. That's all I can really say about it. Disappointing way to end the season. Pissed off way to end the season. Embarrassing way to end the season. And, yeah, it is, it's just annoying. It's just annoying. And then the thing that I've seen today, and we get this kind of a lot in sports where it's overreaction. Like, and I, you could claim, Logan, you're overreacting a little bit as well. Uh, I don't think I am, <laughs> but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe That's why I didn't record a show on Monday or do a Monday show. I was on a completely different mindset back then. I know it was a couple days ago, but I, pff, my mindset was completely different two days ago than it was right now. Like I'm a lot more calm now than it was on Monday. <laughs> I was more like, <laughs> F this, F this. I, wasn't, I never said fire Sean McDermott or replace all these players. I've been on the, the Dorsey-Fraser thing since Monday, but I'm a lot more uh, subdued than I was back then. But... Uh, this has popped up on social media. Jeff Schwartz, you know, master of a uh, trying to, what do you call it, gain attention or poke the bear, I guess you could say. I don't. I thought I had the screenshot saved. I don't know if I do anymore. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah here it is. Uh, there's no more debate. Mahomes and Burrow are the best, two best QBs in the NFL. Uh, no debate? Because, again, I said this before. When you look at the Bills' touchdowns they gave up, they were blown coverages. You look at the stats between Josh Allen and Burrow in this game, they're not, like, too dissimilar. Like, they're pretty much the exact same barring two busted coverages. Like, and you, I saw someone else on Twitter say, Josh gets more praise for losing to Kansas City than Burrow does for beating Kansas City. Do you look at the numbers in that game, those two games? Do you see what happened in the Chiefs games last year in the playoffs? Like, you're really going to credit, this is why quarterback wins and losses is not important at all. Did Josh Allen really deserve to lose that game? No quarterback in that game deserved to lose. But you're going to chalk that one up to Josh Allen because he's the one that lost? Burrow had a worse game against the Chiefs last year than Josh did in a losing effort. So, yeah, I'm not ready to put Burrow above Josh Allen yet. And then you, I saw this on NFL Network. Peter Schrager, if Burrow beats Mahomes on Sunday, how can you make an argument that Mahomes is better than Burrow? Because he is. What? I love Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is one of my favorite. If Josh Allen didn't exist, Joe Burrow would be my favorite quarterback in the NFL. But this is ridiculous. Joe Burrow did not beat Patrick Mahomes last year. The Bengals beat the Chiefs. Joe Burrow against the Chiefs last year did not light up the world. I, I don't know what got misconstrued about that game. I know he's played well. I'm not saying sitting here and go like, oh, man, he's played like absolute shite against the the Kansas City Chiefs, and they've won. Joe Burrow went 23 of 38, 252 touchdowns and interception last year against the bank, against the Chiefs. And you can, they, him and Mahomes had very similar numbers there too. Passing and rushing numbers. And Allen against the Chiefs last year dominated them. Josh Allen this year dominated the Chiefs. Burrow has not dominated the Chiefs. He's played good. Against the Kansas City Chiefs, I guess this year, I guess this year before, or last year, last year in the regular season, he played really well, but he got hurt on the last drive, they ended up beating him, then he played well, but this year, 
Didn't really do anything that spectacular against the Chiefs this year. He had a high completion percentage, but a lot of shorter passes. The Samaji P. Ryan killed him in that game. He had 106 yards rushing. So can we really sit here and say, does Burrow pass Mahomes? He, no, that's not how that works. That's not how that works at all. You cannot sit here and say Burrow is better than Mahomes because he beat him in the playoff. The Bengals are a more well-equipped team than the Chiefs are. And then you, when you look at Mahomes is battling a high ankle sprain, you're really going to sit here and go, man, Mahomes on a high ankle sprain has now gotten past his Burrow as the best quarterback in the NFL. Mahomes will win MVP, and rightfully so. Like, Is there any conversation about Mahomes winning the MVP this year? Is anybody else saying otherwise? So Mahomes wins MVP, Burrow wins, and then they're talking about Burrow being the best quarterback in the NFL. No. No, 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 no. Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. And I'm not even ready to say Burrow's past Josh Allen yet. I understand Josh has up and down ups and downs this year, but let's calm down that Burrow outplayed Allen on Sunday because he didn't. The Bills played like absolute shite on defense, and the two touchdowns were wide open. Both of them, wide open. Like, we make fun of Nathan Peterman all the time. Even Nathan Peterman's throwing a touchdown against the Bills' defense on Sunday. Like, let's calm, let's calm down. Let's calm down. So, is, is Burrow a great quarterback? Yes. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly a great quarterback. Is he one of the coolest people in the NFL? Yes. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Is he better than Patrick Mahomes? No. He's not. And I hate the Chiefs. I hate the Chiefs. And I know a lot of Bills fans will be rooting for the Chiefs this week because of the whole Eli, Eli Apple situation. Like Eli Apple, I've never seen a dude considered by almost everybody to be one of the worst in his position talk so much shit. It's like the Pat Beverly of the, M- the NFL, essentially. But even Pat Beverly is kind of good. Eli Apple's not good at all. And Eli Apple walks around like he's freaking prime Deion Sanders, getting toasted every single play. Man. Did he have a good game this weekend? Yeah, I guess he had an all right. He had a decent game, I guess. But, man, he's not. Let's stop. <laughs> oh, this was a response that Mike Renner, uh, had, had, the response to Jeff Schwartz, has to be. Allen's high end is awesome, but Burrow brings it every single week. Again, Burrow and Allen had the same numbers apart from two busted coverages. Josh Allen really should have had one touchdown again with a busted coverage by the Bengals, but he overthrew him. So I guess that could make your argument. I guess that could make your argument for you that you say Burrow's better than Allen because he overthrew it and busted covered. I think the thing that makes Burrow special is that he never looks rattled. I think that's the main thing. I think Burrow, I mean, his name's Joe Cool. He fits the moniker better than Joe Flacco did. And Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Burrow hasn't won one yet, but he fits the Joe Cool mantra as good as Joe Montana. Like, that dude never seems flustered. The thing I will say about that is that he never looks flustered. Josh, at times, tries to do too much. Which, again, is what the Bills' offense asks them to do. So, I... Yeah, I think Burrow's number three. I said this a couple weeks ago. I think it ranks Mahomes, Allen, Burrow. I think I'm fairly confident in saying that. I'm not, I don't think I'm fairly confident. I am very confident in saying that. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, I forgot about this. I forgot about this. So, Stefan Diggs is uh, making rounds on social media because uh, he was upset on the game. Uh, yeah, he should be. He should be. Am I worried about Stephon Diggs? No, not in the freaking slightest. The thing that I'm upset about, more pissed off, my, my dad and I talked about this, why are more people not pissed off like Stephon Diggs is? 
Why, why is he the only one showing emotion on that Bills sideline? Why is that the only person that's getting pissed off? It's three straight years. Three playoff losses where he got outcoached. Why is he the only one pissed off? And he tried to get out of the locker room early to avoid all the stupid questions from the media, and people are going to paint that always a locker room cancer. We just had through the DeMar Hamlin thing. He was in the hospital with DeMar Hamlin with no cameras around. And now we're talking about he's a trash teammate a few weeks later. Stop. I'm thankful that hasn't really taken off anywhere. Stephon Diggs is the greatest receiver in Bills history. Stephon Diggs is the greatest receiver in Bills history, which also said something about the Buffalo Bills receiver history. But he's, he's the best of Bills history. He's a great teammate. He's a very fiery character. Do I worry about Stephon Diggs in this locker room? No, not at all. Do I worry about him yelling at Josh Allen? No, because he should have been yelling at Josh Allen. He should have been. And Josh, I give him credit as well, because it only makes it worse if he tries to yell at him back. So Josh is looking down, just taking it in. That's fine. I don't care about that. Like, them yelling at each other is not needed, because that's going to blow an entire thing out of proportion. And I don't need that. This Bills team's already got enough national media hate at this point because they're underachieving team that was the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl this year. It was basically the Bills versus the NFC in the Super Bowl, and now they're out of the playoffs in the divisional round. Again. Second straight year. Second straight year. Again. So am I pissed off? Am I upset that Diggs got pissed off at the game? No, because I wish everybody else was like that. I would take 1,000 Stephon Diggs on this Buffalo Bills team. That team would win a Super Bowl. That team would win a Super Bowl. Diggs was pissed, and rightfully so. Josh missed him a lot in this game. So, yeah, Diggs Diggs has every right to be pissed. And Josh has every right to get yelled at by Stephon Diggs. So, yeah, I'm not upset about Diggs at all. I'm not worried about Diggs. I'm not worried about a locker room, quote-unquote, cancer. I'm not worried about Vikings fans coming after me and going, like, look, this is what we told you. Nope, not worried about that at all. Completely different situation. I'd be pissed too if I was Stephon. Well, I am pissed. <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> Stephon Diggs reacted like a fan. We well, need more. But man, rest of the playoffs though. Uh, we talked about the Mahomes getting a high ankle sprain. Yeah, the Chiefs won 27-20. The people talking about if Mahomes plays, Mahomes is playing. Mahomes is playing this game. There ain't no way in hell Mahomes is sitting out this game. I know Chad Henney had a 98-yard touchdown drive in this game. I know Chad Henney can operate this offense well enough, but Mahomes is playing this game. I know his ankle hurts at like hell today. And he won't be able to feel that thing. That thing's going to have tape on the inside of his sock, outside of his sock, and outside of his shoe <laughs> on Sunday. But Mahomes is playing. Mahomes is playing. And they're going to – it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun one. Burrow, the Bengals, the Bengals have beat the Chiefs the last three times they played. So it's an interesting game. It's a very interesting game. I'm like – I don't know. I I don't want. I I, I want a Bengals Niners Super Bowl because I think that'd be cool to see an Ames Super Bowl because Burrow obviously an Ames Ames native Iowa native Joe Burrow <laughs> and Brock Purdy at Iowa State. So yeah, but the bang the Chiefs won. Jaguars choked it. I mean, I I say choked it. The Jaguars should have. They had chances to actually do something in that game. Christian Kirk's drop drop touchdown. Uh, or geez, drop deep ball that uh, Chris Collinsworth said he overthrew, and then Jamal Agnew fumbling on his own at the five-yard line uh, definitely did not help anything. But the thing that I always – that I'm looking at in this game, my friend Andrew and I rewound this like three or four times to make sure we heard it right. Mahomes stepped in the pocket, dropped the ball, and Chris Collinsworth jerked him off saying, what a play by Mahomes. What I, I didn't know what Mahomes did at the time because I was like, wait, did he just say that? 
I was like, maybe he made a defender miss or something. I just completely didn't see it or something. Uh, and we rewound it. No, he just did, he didn't do anything. He should have ran to pick up the first down, didn't, and dropped the ball. It was confusing. It's the, the, the bare minimum for someone to do something to get praise for it. Like, that was ridiculous, but I thought it was kind of funny. Like, I, we always say the old joke of Collinsworth about him and Mahomes and Bills fans are just frustrated. Collinsworth is just annoying. Like, I understand you love Patrick Mahomes, but hey, you better shut your mouth because his dick's so far up your ass it's coming, starting to come out your mouth, Collinsworth. So you better, you better calm down a little bit. Better calm down a little bit, because that was ridiculous. And saying Trevor Lawrence overthrew Christian Kirk's also ridiculous. Saying Trevor Lawrence made a play and like, oh, we've seen that one before. Shut up. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Trevor Lawrence. They're different players. Trevor, we act like Trevor Lawrence isn't one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the position. One of the highest rated high school quarterbacks ever, dominating college. His first ever senior or Saturday loss came <laughs> against the Chiefs. Like, Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. You don't need to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. He's doing Trevor Lawrence thing. He was doing this at college. He was fine. Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. The Jaguars are going to be good. That team's good. They, it's a year off. They're a year off. But that team's good. That team will be good next year. Like, actually good. And I saw this. Trayvon Walker's the first, first, first overall pick to play in the divisional round the same year he was drafted in 31 years, 31, 41 years. That is ridiculous. I didn't even think about that. But it makes sense. Like, you're in the morning dra- overall draft, you're going to the worst team in the NFL. So, yeah, it makes sense that you are, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, bad. <laughs> or not making the playoffs, let alone the divisional round. And then we had uh, Eagles-Giants. Yeah, uh, not yeah, not in the sea there. Absolute ass-blasting by the, Giants, the Eagles in that game. And I saw this today. Uh, should the Giants extend Daniel Jones? This is on the Carlton Show, or Carton Show, sorry, on Fox Sports. Uh, he's a top, t- this is about Daniel Jones. He's a top 10 quarterback, let's be honest. He's got as many playoff wins as Jalen Hurts, and while Hurts is better, he's also the QB for a much better team. Okay, we're really going to bring in playoff wins? Daniel Jones has been in the league longer than, <laughs> than Jalen Hurts has. So that's a, that that argument's null and void. You can't bring up that. He's been in the league longer. Like, so that doesn't matter. So we're going to bring up playoff wins about, oh, this is why he gets an extension and this one doesn't. And then the blast of his state, Daniel Jones is a top 10 quarterback. Daniel Jones might be a top 15 quarterback at his peak. Like, I think Daniel Jones is fine. I think the Giants should stand, extend Daniel Jones, but he ain't getting no Josh Allen, Mahomes, even Kyler Murray money. Like, come on. Come on. I understand he's fine. He's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. He had a great game against the Minnesota Vikings. But you can't bring up he has more play he has as many wins as play playoff wins as Jalen Hurts when he's been in the league less or longer than Jalen Hurts has. Jalen Hurts has been in the league less than Jalen Jones. You can't bring that up. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. You can't do that. And especially since he's played. This was well, I guess they both have two playoff games now because Jalen Hurts lost to the Bucks last year. But man, Daniel Jones is fine. He's a fine quarterback. There's nothing really to write home about. I've defended Daniel Jones numerous times on the show. I said I think Daniel Jones has the talent to be an NFL starting quarterback. It's just a matter of if he can actually put it all together. Because he had it all there. He can move. He's got a good arm. It's just a matter of if he could, like, the brainwaves could connect each other. This is a Duke guy. You'd think he'd be able to figure it out faster, but nope. Need a Dable there. They do try to play him like he's Josh Allen. He's not, he's not Josh Allen, but he is, uh, he's mobile enough to make it, wor- make it work. Uh, Long term, I don't know what his, I don't know what his contract will be. I wouldn't do like a 10-year deal or anything, but you look at probably a four-year deal, three- or four-year deal with Jones. It's probably fair. 
I think he's fine. I don't really think there's anything really that bad about him. I just not not particularly insanely high on him. And then the final game of the week was a Niners Cowboys boring ass game. Snooze fest. Defensive uh, I shouldn't say snooze fest. Defensive battle this game was. But I I'm starting to <laughs> this is starting to kind of irk me a little bit. Uh, irks not the right word. Er, irks not the right word because I do actually really enjoy the 49ers. I love watching Purdy play. I love the story of Brock Purdy this year. Mr. Relevant to now getting the team or being a part of a team that goes to the NFC Championship game. I'm cheering for the Niners the rest of the playoffs, but they need to settle down on the Brock Purdy bandwagon here a little bit. It's getting kind of ridiculous here. Like, I understand he's playing really, really well for given where he was drafted and given the expectations on him going into the season, but let's settle down. Like, they asked Kittle after the game, how do you feel about Brock taking this team here? Brock Purdy did not take the Niners anywhere. Brock Purdy is a part of the Niners, but this is getting like Stetson Bennett levels of what are we talking about here? Like, no disrespect to Purdy. Again, I think Purdy's playing really, really good for where he was drafted at. But I don't think that there's a quarterback in the NFL that has played less games that has thrown more dropped interceptions than Brock Purdy. And, hell, I understand that, hey, the interception wasn't thrown, but that stuff hits defenders right in the chest and they're dropping it. I think he's done that in every game he's played for the Niners. Every game that he's played significant minutes for. Because I know he played some garbage time earlier in the year, but significant minutes for the Niners, he has thrown, I think I would be willing to bet, one to two dropped interceptions a game. Like, it's ridiculous how it's, like, there, you, the old saying, you better be lucky than good. You understand that? Because that's what kind of is going on in this situation. Because you have McCaffrey, Kittle, and Samuel. Debo Samuel is the third option on this team. The third option. You know how good of a weapon group you have to have to have Debo Samuel be your third option? And we're not even including Brandon Ayuk, who's a thousand-yard receiver this year or Jawan Jennings, who balled out this year, or Elijah Mitchell, who's a, one of the better backup running backs in the NFL, though he did run out of bounds and almost made, made the game a little bit more interesting at the end. But let's settle down here. Let's settle down here. I think Purdy is a fine quarterback. I think he's a fine quarterback. He's not the reason the Niners are where they're at. The Niners have the number one defense in the NFL with the Defensive Player of the Year in Nick Bosa. They have McCaffrey, Samuel, Ayuk, Kittle, and Trent Williams, who's on the offensive line, one of the better offensive lines in the NFL, not to mention Elijah Mitchell and Jawan Jennings, with Kyle Shanahan as his head coach. Like, okay, he's had a good... I, I don't want to take anything away from him without having a good year, but let's settle down on where the... the What do you call it? The reason why they're where they are narrative... Because Purdy, like Bennett, is kind of like if you're ranking the most important players on this team of where they're at, he's probably in round 15. Maybe you're looking at 12 or something like that. Because this Niners team is freaking good. It's freaking good. And I think he's done enough. So there was a report this week that said Purdy's expected to be the starter next year. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I don't think he's going to – he doesn't deserve it outright yet. 
yet, yet, yet. Let me let me explain here. I think he's done enough to this point to where they don't bring anybody in this offseason. I think. That's obviously something to change because there's obviously going to be some big names around this offseason. But I don't think they bring anybody else in. I think this is a Purdy Lance thing that goes on. And it's going to be a battle. I've talked about this before between John Lynch and Shanahan. Front office versus coaching staff. Who do they want? That's going to be the big thing. Purdy's extremely poised and is not turning the ball over, though he probably should have a couple times in his time as the Niners quarterback, or more than a couple times. But Lance is more athletic, he's bigger, he's younger than Purdy is. He's a lot more raw, he's played a lot less football more recently than Purdy has. Purdy was a four-year starter at Iowa State, and then he comes in this year. Lance didn't play his last year in college. He had one game against Central Arkansas, which was just a showcase game, so he got people reminded that he was still good. And then he sat out last year. He played, they won the national championship in uh, 2020, going into 2021, didn't play in 2021, and then got drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. Or no, 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 no. They won the Natty 19 to 20, didn't play in 2020, had that one game, got drafted in 2021, didn't play in 2021, started first game this season's monsoon, second game he snaps his ankle. So they're going to give this dude chances to get this job back. Before, like, when he pretty first started, we said this was like a probably 75-25% chance gets Lance gets the job back. I bet it's about like 55-45 at this point. Because that front office, that Lance will get more opportunities to start than Purdy will. There's so much more invested in Trey Lance than there is in Brock Purdy. And that's not me being cynical or anything. That's just the facts. They invested so much more in a Trey Lance. They did not trade anything to get Brock Purdy. They traded away a lot that turned into some good players in Miami for Trey Lance. So they got they're going to give him chances. And if Purdy beats him out, which is every he has every opportunity to. Lance will get dealt, and I bet Tennessee would be the main person there because they hired a guy from the 49ers staff to be their new GM. So that would be my initial inkling on who would be where Lance would go if Purdy does beat him out. Now that changes if Purdy wins a Super Bowl. I think that's the only way we can say Purdy gets the job 100 is if he wins a Super Bowl. Going to a Super Bowl and winning one are two different things. Two different things. Like, if he wins one, then we're talking about a Brady-Bloodsoe situation, where Brady comes in for an injured Bloodsoe, wins a Super Bowl, Bloodsoe first $100 million player in NFL history, loses the job because he gets injured, gets traded to Buffalo that offseason. Then we're having that conversation. But if he doesn't, it's a little bit different. And I know it's you got to the Super Bowl, the biggest game in the NFL. Biggest game. Everybody dreams of going there, and you do it in your rookie season. I understand that, but again, there's a lot invested in Lance. There's a lot invested. If Purdy wins the Super Bowl, then it's not even a question. It's not a question. If they lose, then they're going to have the competition, and then it's 50-50. Then it's 50-50. That would be my prediction. I'm not saying that's 100% right or that's what will happen, but based off context, because of what I've seen around the NFL throughout the past, given these circumstances, like you look at Kurt Warner. Coming in for Trent Green in St. Louis. Kurt Warner won a Super Bowl, kept the job. Like, winning the Super Bowl is big. That's the key thing here. 
That makes it 100%. You cannot bench a dude that just won a freaking Super Bowl. Unless he completely shits the bed. So maybe they keep Lance just in case Purdy shits the bed if he wins a Super Bowl. If he wins one, 99% he gets that starting job. If he loses, it's 50%. Just how I envision it. Just how I envision it. Because it's big. It's really big. But he's playing, he's playing, I'm not sitting here and saying he's playing bad by any stretch of the imagination. He's not playing bad at all. But it is getting, there's a lot of hype that some of it's warranted, most of it's warranted, but there's a little bit that's kind of blown out of proportion. We talked about the throw he made against Seattle last week where he led Dewan Jennings right into the path of the defender where he almost got his head taken off. And people are talking about how it was a great throw by Purdy. It was not. It wasn't. But, again, I'm cheering for the Niners to win the Super Bowl because I think it'd be really cool to see a bunch of Iowans win a Super Bowl. And Joe Burrow, Ames guy, win a Super Bowl. But I know my dad would be on, like, big, 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 big 49ers fan if that Super Bowl took place because he's always said he does not want Burrow to win a Super Bowl for Allen. He said that last year. He doesn't want it this year. But now Burrow beat Allen in the playoffs. So we'll have to see. A little bit different. Now you can say you lost the team that won the Super Bowl. Bills lost the team that lost the AFC Championship game last year. So it's a little bit different. See, that Super Bowl means everything. But these matchups are good. I'm excited for these matchups. Niners, Eagles, Bengals, Chiefs. I mean, apart from my team not being in there, I think these are great matchups. I like these matchups a lot. If my team was in there, I'd like them a lot more, but I like these matchups. And it's funny. So the Eagles are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The Bengals are a two-and-a-half-point favorite over the Chiefs right now. So obviously something to change. This is how we're sitting here on Tuesday, January 24th. But that's how we're sitting right now. Cincinnati Bengals minus two-and-a-half over the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Interesting stuff. Absolutely interesting stuff. And I think that's really all I've got for you today. The last thing I've really got to say is that uh, the Packers are not trading Rodgers to an NFC team, which is the least surprising thing I've seen all season. Obviously, they're not going to trade him to an NFC team. Obviously. Do I think Rodgers gets dealt? I don't know. What Does he have, does he have a foot in this? Does he have any leverage here? I mean, he just signed a contract last offseason. So does he have leverage? The Packers can literally just sit there and say no. They've done it the past like three years. He's thrown a hissy fit like the past three off seasons about getting traded or about not being happy. And then all of a sudden, oh, Rodgers doesn't get traded. Oh, he's always wanted to be a Packer or it's this or it's that, whatever. So does he get traded now? It depends on what the Packers' plans are this offseason. Do they think they're going to be a rebuilding program or do they think they're going to actually compete next year? Because the lines will be better. The Vikings will still be good, you would expect. The better defensively, anyways. The Bears will be better. So, do you want to just blow it up now and rebuild and start Jordan Love? Do the Jordan Love era started? Like I saw, I've seen things today about Rodgers getting traded to New Jersey to go to the Jets. Joe Montana or Joe Namath said they'd he'd unretire the number twelve jersey if he came there. Seahawks unretired the number eighty jersey for Sterry Rice for Steve when Steve Largent number eighty in Seattle. They unretired that one for Jerry Rice. Or he'd be cool and be like Joe Montana when Len Dawson was down there in Kansas City. Joe Montana went to 19. Didn't let a, didn't let him retire, unretire the number. So Favre could do that. But I know it's it's going to be a weird offseason. Whether it's Lamar, who I guess turned down the Ravens' initial offer. Lamar, Brady, Rodgers, Derek Carr. There's going to be some movement this offseason in the quarterback position. And it's going to be interesting. Like, Rodgers to the, the Jets makes sense. Makes sense to me. Then you've got... Brady going to the Raiders, I think that one's pretty locked. I I think Garoppolo is still the favorite to go to the Jets, but that's just me. 
Obviously, that's uh, it's a subject to change. But Rodgers, if he goes to the AFC, where would he go in the AFC? If I had to guess where he would go in the – I mean, they tried to get him to Denver. That was the main goal was to get him to Denver. That's why they brought Hackett there. But they couldn't get him, so they got Russell Wilson. Rodgers, if he went anywhere else in the AFC – like, I'm sure the Jets fans would rather have Rodgers than Garoppolo. I think that's how most people would be. But I think Garoppolo makes sense with the Jets, given Salah's there. I would say Lafleur, but Lafleur's fired. <laughs> if Lafleur was still there in New New Jersey, I would say that uh, Rodgers there makes sense because he got the brother connection. Maybe he's just to help a brother out there. I don't know. Jets probably make the most sense if you're looking at a Rodgers trade, but I don't, like, Raiders getting back with Devontae? I don't know, but I think Brady's locked in to go there. I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird offseason. Again, I think Carr goes to Washington. Carr to Washington, Brady to Vegas. And then we see Rodgers go to New Jersey with the Jets to say hypothetical. And then we go to Garoppolo. He goes to Houston. I don't know. They draft a guy, get Garoppolo there, keep Davis Mills there. I don't know what they're going to do. But they're going to draft a guy. It's just a matter of uh, um what they do with the other quarterback. If Davis Mills is going to be there, if they're going to bring in a Garoppolo to be a mentor, or Carolina, Garoppolo is Carolina, be a mentor there. Who the hell knows? It's going to be interesting. That's all I know. The Jets are going to be players this offseason in the quarterback position, whether it's Garoppolo, Rodgers, Lamar. I don't know. That It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But I think that's all I've got for you today. I think that's all I've got for you. I'm trying to look through my, my camera roll to see if I have anything else I really wanted to touch on. Not really. Uh, keep scrolling around ESPN a little bit. I don't know. Oh, oh, here we go. Forecasting top NFC uh, quarterback landing spots. Let's see how... Okay, Brady goes to the Raiders. Lamar to the Falcons. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one a lot, actually. I like Lamar to the Falcons. He fit what uh, Arthur Smith wants to do down there. And for the people that want to compare him to, to Michael Vick, there you go. I've I've said before they're not they're not similar players they're just fast both are fast and that's it like they don't play the same Lamar's a better quarterback than Michael Vick but Vick had a freaking cannon uh, Derek Carr to the Texans eh Rodgers will be a Jet or a Colt I don't think Colts uh, Jets yeah I could see that Raiders and Rams will trade for big names or trade big names will trade them yeah but they're trying the Bengals are going to re-sign Burrow to a big extension makes sense. Wow, Purdy and Lance battle out for QB one job in training kit. That's not is that is that news? I think that's what everybody's kind of expecting at this point. So yeah, Rodgers to the Jets, Carr to the, I don't think the Texans. I don't think he'd go to the Texans. The only reason I said Garoppolo to the Texans because they have connections there. Because their whole front office is a uh, former Patriots guys. Garoppolo was there with the, obviously with the Patriots. I know Patriots fans, including T Boys, been on the show once. Garoppolo back, but we'll have to see. But that's all I've got. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Cowboys last second play. What was that? What was that? What was that last play? Zeke at center? They set up linemen out wide to block, but they threw the ball past the line of scrimmage. If you're going to have linemen out there to block, you got to throw it behind the line of scrimmage so they can block. They just threw, it was the, one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen next to the Colts play against the Patriots. Those two. Two dumbest plays I've ever seen. I've seen some dumb plays. I've seen some dumb plays. But that being said, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. Uh, hope we'll have some, uh, well, we're going to have some, a, a, a playoff previews for Friday's show. So we'll have that ready for you. Hope you enjoyed that show in advance. You know, you like before you try it, so, but make sure you, again, you're following or subscribe to Logan Blackman show on Apple podcast, Spotify, make sure you like and follow every single, fa uh, every social media platform we have. And I will see you all later.
Peace.